everyone, this is Jeffrey Kerr. I'm back with another installment of the News of the Month series on the Kerr Reviews podcast. This is where I talk about a few entertainment news stories that feel important and or interesting to me. While I have already talked about previous updates regarding the Broadway shutdown in the last two installments of this series, I decided not to talk about the latest, because that topic has gotten pretty boring at this point, plus I thought I'd make some room for other news stories that aren't related to the coronavirus pandemic. Each of the stories you'll be hearing me talk about have been divided into four separate categories. Our first subject for this month is Disney+. Plus. It was recently announced that the live filming of Hamilton with the original Broadway cast, which was filmed back in the summer of 2016 and was previously scheduled to be released in movie theaters on October 15th, 2021, will now be coming to Disney Plus on July 3rd of this year, which at the time of this recording is just one month away. For those who still have yet to see Hamilton on stage, let alone afford a ticket, this should be the next best alternative for all of you. Especially at a time like this where theatrical performances all over the world have been put on hold until further notice. Not to mention that this taping will be dropping just in time for this year's 4th of July. For those wondering whether or not I've been able to see Hamilton on stage, let me share this excerpt from my December 2019 interview with original cast member Ariana DeBose. Well, yeah, in fact, on a side note, I was actually in New York during the weekend of the 2016 Tony Awards. I was even able to catch the Saturday matinee performance of Hamilton. Whoa! <laughs> yeah. That was quite the weekend. Well, well, yeah, it was definitely one of the most exciting trips to New York I've ever had. You've heard that, right? In fact, I remember meeting with some lady a few years ago, and she asked if I've seen Hamilton. I said yes. Then she asked on Broadway, to which I replied, yes. Then she said, please don't tell me you saw it with Lin-Manuel Miranda, which I, of course, then said, yes. <laughs> I got to see a lot of the original cast, with a few exceptions. Leslie Odom Jr. was out as Aaron Burr, so I saw his understudy instead. Plus, Jonathan Groff had already left to film the first season of Mindhunter, so I saw his replacement, Roy O'Malley, play King George III. Since then, I was able to catch one of the national touring productions when it came to my area in November of 2018. If you're interested in my thoughts on that, you can find a link to my review for Broadway World in the episode notes. In other news related to Disney+, Plus. Rick Riordan's best-selling young adult series, Percy Jackson and the Olympians, is set to receive another on-screen adaptation, this time as a TV show for the streaming platform. The series was previously adapted into two feature films for 20th Century Fox, which is now owned by Disney, The Lightning Thief in 2010 and Sea of Monsters in 2013. I've never read any of the novels. I've only seen the first movie once when it was released on President's Day weekend in 2010. I remember liking it, but that was back when I was almost 16 years old and I haven't seen it since. I also never saw the second one. While both movies did okay at the box office, there was never really much enthusiasm to continue on with the franchise on the big screen. Not to mention that fans of the series were not happy with either one of them given how much they deviated from the source material. Even author Rick Riordan himself has admitted on his official website about how limited his influence was on both adaptations. This time, Rick and his wife Becky are set to be involved in person in every aspect of the Disney Plus series. 
He even wrote on Twitter saying, We are very excited about the idea of a live-action series of the highest quality, following the storyline of the original Percy Jackson five-book series, starting with The Lightning Thief in Season 1. From what he had to say, it appears that each book in the series will be adapted into one season for the TV show. Therefore, the show should be able to last five seasons if successful. This announcement seems to fit in with a recent trend of taking properties that didn't quite succeed as a movie but giving them another shot as a TV show. Examples of this include A Series of Unfortunate Events, which previously adapted the first three novels of Daniel Handler's series into one movie, while the film did okay at the box office when it came out in 2004, plans of a sequel were put on hold for years until Netflix acquired the rights to adapt the entire series for television. Not to mention that the first installment of author Philip Pullman's fantasy trilogy, His Dark Materials, was previously adapted for the big screen in 2007 under the title of The Golden Compass. Yet, the movie ended up underperforming at the box office, which led to New Line Cinema cancelling any plans for further installments. The series was later given a second chance with a TV show that premiered on BBC One and HBO last year. In fact, the critical disappointment of the film was actually one of the reasons why author George R.R. R. Martin wanted Game of Thrones to be adapted into a TV series as opposed to a movie as he felt doing as a television show, they wouldn't have to make as many compromises to the story. And coming soon as a live-action reboot of the 2000s animated series Avatar The Last Airbender on Netflix, with original creators Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Konetsko serving as showrunners. By the time that eventually debuts, it'll be over a decade after the previous attempts to adapt the saga into live action with the 2010 film The Last Airbender end up stumbling to the ground. It just goes to show how far we've come in terms of quality production values on TV. Nowadays, if you have such a long, complex source material in terms of characters and world building you want to adapt, it doesn't have to be a movie. Television is the more suitable medium to go. Our next subject is the TV show Smash. For those who may not be familiar, Smash was a series on NBC that explored the makings of a Broadway musical. It was all spearheaded by Steven Spielberg's love of musical theater, which is why if you pay attention to the credits, he was listed as an executive producer. Originally, he had developed the series with producers Craig Zayden and Neil Marin at Showtime, but when chairman Robert Greenblatt left for NBC, one of the first things he brought over was Smash. Unfortunately, the show only lasted two seasons on the air, but does have a devoted cult following. There are even a number of people who have been discovering this series in the years since its cancellation. Most recently, it was announced that a stage adaptation is in the works for Broadway. No timeline has been announced yet, but Steven Spielberg, Robert Greenblatt, and Neil Marin will be serving as lead producers. No director has been announced yet, but the songwriting team of Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman will be returning to write the score, while Bob Martin, who won a Tony for co-writing The Drowsy Chaperone, and Rick Ellis, who was Tony-nominated for co-writing Jersey Boys, will be writing the book. Not to mention that Joshua Burgas, who won an Emmy for his work on the original series, will reprise his role as choreographer. According to the New York Times, the plot for the stage adaptation will depart liberally from the TV series, which I imagine they would have to do anyway given that Broadway musicals usually last about two and a half hours, while TV shows obviously last much longer than that. It should be interesting to see which characters and or storylines they won't end up using. In any case, it just goes to show how a property that didn't quite succeed can be saved by its small yet rapturous fan base.
Our next subject is the 1964 Tony-winning musical *Fiddler on the Roof*. Just as *West Side Story* is getting rebooted for the big screen, a new film adaptation of *Fiddler* is in the works at MGM. Tony and Emmy-winning director Thomas Kiel is set to be at the helm, with Tony-winning Dear Evan Hansen scribe Stephen Levinson set to pen the screenplay. The two of them previously collaborated on last year's Emmy-winning miniseries *Fosse Verdon*. As for my thoughts. I'm really not sure. The 1971 version, directed by Norman Jewis and starring Topol, is one of my favorite film adaptations of the stage musical. While it may not have the same lasting legacy of others, such as West Side Story, which is actually number one for me, The Sound of Music, or Cabaret, I think Fiddler deserves to be in that pantheon. Not to mention that when film adaptations of Broadway musicals are made without any big stars in them, such as 1972's 1776, 1973's Godspell, 2005's Rent, and 2014's Jersey Boys, they usually flop at the box office as they catered more towards a theater-going audience, which is never enough to turn a profit. Yet, Fiddler on the Roof was successfully able to gross over $83 million at the worldwide box office on a budget of just $9 million. Especially at a time when the era of Hollywood musicals was starting to die down with flops such as 1969's *Painter Wagon* and *Hello Dolly*, as well as 1970's *On a Clear Day You Can See Forever*. While I can't see a film reboot of this being more excusable than *West Side Story*, still, if you got it right the first time, why bother doing it again? On the one hand, those are my exact feelings on the West Side Story reboot as well. But on the other hand, Steven Spielberg is directing that one, and as somebody who's had a lot of commercial success over the years, he really is no slouch when it comes to creativity. So I am actually curious to see how that will turn out. However, if someone had to give me the task of putting these reboots together, I would have Steven Spielberg direct *Fiddler on the Roof* because he's a proud Jew who told such an impactful story about his people of 1993's *Schindler's List*. Meanwhile, I'd have Martin Scorsese direct *West Side Story* because he's known for making films set in New York City as well as having unflinchingly graphic and realistic depictions of violence. Those pairings of director and material make more sense to me. The back to *Fiddler*. Michael Schwartz, who's a contributor and podcaster for Next Best Picture, wrote on Twitter that he thinks a new film for a new generation does not diminish the genius of the original film whatsoever. Remakes are like Broadway revivals. I find it fascinating to see a new interpretation. Doesn't invalidate anything that came before. Though I wrote a reply to him that said that's not the same thing. A great work can spend decades off the Broadway stage before it returns to dazzle a whole new generation of theatergoers. Meanwhile, movies live forever on the DVD shelf or can be instantly accessed through streaming services. There's always a way to see them. In any case, we'll see how far this project goes because movies get announced all the time, but that doesn't mean they're actually happening. All it means is that they're at least in the works for now. I've never been through this process before, but I imagine that the creative team involved will have a lot of hoops to get through before the studio decides that they'll officially be moving forward with the project. Like I remember, 11 years ago, it was announced that Jim Carrey and Jake Gyllenhaal would be starring in a film reboot of *The Yankees*. Yet that seemed to have never gone anywhere. For our final subject. I'd like to take this moment to remember three showbiz veterans we've lost within this past month. Actor comedian Jerry Stiller died of natural causes at his home in Manhattan on May 11th at the age of 92. 
While he is perhaps best known today as father of actor comedian Ben Stiller, Jerry did have a long career in show business himself. He had appeared on the big screen in a 1975 film adaptation of the Terence McNally play *The Ritz*, where he reprised the role he had originated on Broadway, as well as 2001's *Zoolander*, which was produced, written, and directed by Ben Stiller, who also starred. Jerry also received an Emmy nomination in 1997 for his guest appearance on the TV show Seinfeld, where he had a long recurring role as George Costanza's father, Frank. I should point out that he also played Wilbur Turnblad in the original 1988 movie of Hairspray, written and directed by John Waters. That role went on to win a Tony Award for Dick Latessa in 2003 for his performance in the stage musical adaptation. Jerry also made a cameo appearance in the 2007 movie musical adaptation as Mr. Pinky. Adam Shankman, who directed and choreographed that version, even posted what I found to be quite a touching tribute on his Instagram. You can also find a link to that in the episode notes. A few days later, we lost another veteran actor comedian to natural causes. Fred Willard died at his home in Los Angeles on May 15th at the age of 86. Something I happened to have had in common with him was that we both hailed from Northeast Ohio. He was born in Cleveland and raised in a nearby town called Shaker Heights. Meanwhile, I was born in Canton and raised in a nearby town called Louisville. Willard was best known for his roles in several mockumentary films, such as 1984's *This Is Spinal Tap*, 1996's *Waiting for Guffman*, 2000's *Best in Show*, and 2003's *A Mighty Wind*. I should also point out that I had recently rewatched *Wall-E*, where he had a small live-action part on Earth Day this year. I must say that watching that movie on Earth Day during the COVID-19 crisis made me realize how it has become much more cathartic. Most recently, playwright, author, and activist Larry Kramer died of pneumonia in Manhattan at the age of 84 on May 27th. He was best known as the mind behind *The Normal Heart*, which had originally premiered off-Broadway in 1985. Yet it wasn't until 2011 when the landmark play finally made it to Broadway. I was lucky enough to have been in the audience for the 2013 Tonys, where Larry received the Isabel Stevenson Award prior to the telecast. The award itself acknowledged his contributions in co-founding the gay men's health crisis, as well as ACT UP, an international activist and direct action network to develop treatments of HIV/AIDS. In 2014, a film adaptation of *The Normal Heart* was finally released on HBO, courtesy of director-producer Ryan Murphy. Which ended up winning the Emmy that year for outstanding television movie. Arya had also received an Oscar nomination for writing a 1970 British film titled *Women in Love*, which starred Alan Bates, Oliver Reed, Glenda Jackson in the first of her two Oscar-winning roles, and Jenny Linden. My condolences definitely go out to all of their families. So that just about does it for the news of this month. I will be back on July sixth to discuss any bit of entertainment news stories that I found interesting and/or important from June. If you like what you've heard here, please subscribe to wherever you get this podcast. Feel free to rate and/or review this show on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to find more content from me, please visit my website, which is www.carereviews.net. You can also find it on Twitter at carereviews and me at Jeffrey Care. Thanks for listening, and I will see you all later. <laughs>